Amen. And with that, um, I'll have Pastor Andrew come on up. And if you're wondering if that's Pastor Andrew, who's that leading worship? I am I'm Zach, one of Andrew's stunt doubles here. Um, I, I lead worship for him sometimes. So a lot of people don't know there's actually two of us. <laughs> two of us. Thank you, Zach. Thank you, team. Can I can I ask you if you have a cell phone? Will you will you make sure it's on silent? I know. Uh, you probably all did that this morning. I just turned mine off. So none of you can text me during the message. <clears throat> uh, but the topic this morning, I would love, love to not be interrupted by any unnecessary interruptions. Uh, there are certain words, there are certain words that are familiar to our ears, but, but hard for us to define. And I think holiness is one of those words. At least it is for me. I have ideas that, that come to my mind. If somebody asked me what's holiness, I would definitely think I could explain it, but then once you start, you realize there are these layers, and you're like, it's this, but it's that, and it's over there, and it's around here, and there's like this word bank that involves holiness. There's what is holy, and what is sacred, and what is sanctified, and what is consecrated, and what is taboo. What is pure? What is clean? When we start to think about what can be holy, we think about holy people and holy places and holy things. And God is holy. And it's one of those words that certainly requires more than a bumper sticker. <laughs> certainly more than a bumper sticker to talk about. And I think... I was thinking about this this week. I think that the, the idea, whether we can define the word or not, the idea of holiness or, or whole, something that is holy or sacred or set apart, that idea and concept lives in the heart of every human being. One of the problems that we face, though, in our society today, we live in a, a pluralistic society or relativity is embraced. And what, what that means is that we have different people who would define holiness according to their own ideas. And so holiness becomes this thing that we make up for ourselves. It's not concrete. What you think is holy may not be holy to me, and thus you have most of the battles we see raging around us in society, right? Does that make sense? There's conflict where you have differing definitions of, of holiness. And I was thinking about this. I'm like, do I really want to make people mad at the beginning of the sermon? I think so. <laughs> Here's why. What, what I want you to understand, I'm going to go through a list of what people hold as holy and what, how those, those views come into tension. And you might find yourself like a little agitated. That's not holy. And that, that's what I want you to feel. Because what we define as holiness, what we understand as holy when somebody violates it, what happens? Your passions rise up. You feel it in your gut. Like, that's wrong. And I know it. Why? I know it. <laughs> A simple thing that we could begin with is various religions and various worldviews have different definitions of what is, what is holy and what is, what is sacred. Now, it would be easy to look at if we were to examine Christianity if we examined Judaism, if we examined Islam or, or Hinduism, 
Everything has various degrees of what is holy and what is not. Simple example. As Christians, we eat pigs. It's not holy. It's not sacred to us. Well, it is. It's good. Anyways, different story. So we can look at that. You might think, but what is, the, what is a secularist think is holy? Well, they believe that interpreting life on the basis of natural material worlds and freedom from other religions, that's sacred. In other words, the secularist view is don't impose your, sec- your, your sacred ideas on me because my ideas are what? Sacred. You look, look at it in, in various forms of government. Uh, what do democracies hold as sacred? Uh, the, right to be ru- the right of rule among all, right? The right of representation. What do tyrants hold as sacred? The sole right to rule. You think about it in uh, the social justice movement. Equity is sacred. You think about it in, in marriage and the differing definitions that, that people want to place on that. Somebody who would describe themselves as holding a traditional view of marriage would describe it as marriage is between one man and one woman. That's sacred. Plenty of other cultures in our, in our world would define it as a marriage between one man and women. That's the definition of marriage. LGBTQ would hold that each person's personal choice regarding sexuality and identity is what? Sacred. And any of us, whatever view you hold there, somebody tries to cross your view, it's taboo. We could talk about the pro-life movement holding that every human life is sacred or the pro-choice movement holding that a woman's right is sacred. We could talk about how nature is sacred or freedom is sacred. I know there are kids in here. Even you have views about what is sacred and holy. If you have brothers or sisters and you're in a car, you believe that your personal space (laughs) is sacred. People die over what they believe is holy. Families divide over what they believe is holy. And we all make a lot of life decisions because of what we hold to be holy and sacred. How are we to understand it? This morning we're going to take a tour through the scriptures to see what holiness is and what it means and where it comes from. And then we're going to look at how Jesus is absolutely essential and central to our understanding of of holiness. And finally, we'll end with why and how we can and must pursue holiness. And now you understand why we're going to be here for two and a half hours. I kid. But as we we entertain... And begin in this, this topic. Can we bow in prayer? Will you pray for me? And I'll pray over us. Heavenly Father, you know uh, that we are a people uh, surrounded by noise and busyness. 
and that our hearts and minds are frequently occupied with many things that are not you. I know that when I consider you, I only see in part, and it's clouded by by ignorance and laziness, uh, with a heart that is apathetic to seeing you and all of you as you've revealed yourself to be. And and so I pray, um, I pray for all of us this morning. And Lord, I ask that you would have mercy on us, and that in your kindness, that you would open up our eyes and awaken our spirits from slumber and ignite our hearts in awe, and that you would flood our souls with the light of the revelation of, of who you are. And we might understand holiness. I say you would make us aware in these moments. Make us aware of your presence here. And that all who sit here would experience and know that you are a God who is near. Amen. What is holiness? What does it mean for something or some place to be holy? Where does it come from and what are we supposed to do with it? And I want to take us through Well, I want to take us through all the scriptures, but I can't. So we're going to start in Genesis chapter 2. If you have your Bibles and you want to follow along, we're going to be passing through a lot of scriptures. If you just want to listen to them, uh, many believers throughout history have done that. And so if you'd like to follow along, feel free to open up. But if you just want to hear them and receive them, that is is fine as well. We're going to begin in Genesis chapter 2. And the first occasion we meet this word to make something holy or to be sanctified or consecrated. If you know Genesis chapter 2, it comes after Genesis chapter 1, which is about the creation of the heavens and the earth and how God ordered them. And this is what it says in Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. And so God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So here we see a holy day. Here's a thought for you. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. Your week could be six days long. We didn't get to decide how many days are in a week. It could be six days, and then the next day, six days of work begin, followed by another six days of work. Just increase the orbit a little bit. You get to a nice even 366 days rather than 365 and a quarter. 61 weeks. Works out pretty good. But that's not what God did, is it? What's interesting is you you read through the creation account is God had six days of of working on the creation. And then the next day he decides this is is not the sixth starting over. This is is something different. This is the seventh day. I'm going to do something different this day. What did he do? He rested. And so he blesses it. And we can make a couple observations about what this means for something to be sanctified or made holy from our text. First of all, it means this. Something has been set apart as distinct and unique. So if you're thinking about what does it mean to be made holy, to be sanctified, to be consecrated, it means something is set apart as distinct and unique. You have the first six days, one, two, three, four, five, six. God did something then. And then you have the seventh day. 
something special happened. It's distinct, it's unique, it's different. So that's the first thing. Something has been set apart as distinct and unique. The second observation we can make from our text is, the seventh day is holy because of its unique relationship with God. Seventh day didn't make itself holy. It is made holy because God did something different on that day, and he says, this day is special, I'm blessing it, it's unique, I'm resting, it's the seventh day. So God separates it from the norm, and he gives it a unique and distinct purpose because of its relationship to him. Let's look at our second passage in in Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. Here in Exodus chapter 3, we're not looking at a a holy day. We're going to be looking at a a holy place. In Exodus chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, we read uh, that now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked... And behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And then he said, do not come near. Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. So Moses encounters God in the wilderness, and God speaking from the midst of this bush that is burning, but not burned up. As God says, don't come near, take off your sandals, for the place that you're standing on is is holy ground. And Moses was afraid, afraid to look at God. And he hides his face. What is is holy here? What's described as holy? The ground. The ground is described as holy. It's been set apart as distinct from the, the ground that Moses was walking on to get closer to the bush. Moses is in the wilderness. I don't know if you've ever been in the wilderness, but a lot of it looks the same. As you walk along, this ground looks the same as that ground, and it transitions slowly. But as Moses comes to this place, God says, Stop. This ground is different, it's distinct, it's unique. All that other ground you could walk on in your sandals, but this ground deserves something, something different. Don't come near. And it's different because why? Because God is drawn near. It's distinct and unique because God is there and his presence is what makes this dirt unique among dirts, if you will. And so I think from looking at this passage, we can make two new observations about holy things from this text. The first is this. We see that holy things are not to be treated as common things, even when it's dirt. Does that make sense? Take off your sandals. You don't treat this like the rest of the ground that you've been walking on. Why? It's distinct. It's unique. It deserves different treatment. The nature of this ground that you're standing on, the distinct nature of it is holy ground, which demands deference, it demands honor, it demands respect, it demands esteem. That's the first thing. 
Holy things are not to be treated as common. The second thing is this. In the presence of, of holiness, safety is found in submission. Okay? In the presence of holy things and holiness, safety is found in submission. So Moses' motions are telling him, <laughs> I'm afraid. The dude is hiding his face. And the voice is telling him, don't come, don't come near, because it's holy ground. And I think it's safe for us to assume that this man who is afraid actually followed through and obeyed the commands that, that God gives. I don't think it's a, an assumption to, a big leap for us to assume that he followed the instructions he received from God. That God, who makes this ground holy, as Moses submits to these commands that God gives, Moses finds himself safe in the presence of holiness. That makes sense? Safety is found in submission. And so we have a holy day, we have a holy place. What else can be holy? Let's look at people. People who can be made holy and, and set apart by God. I wish we had a lot of time to dwell on this particular theme because it's, it's really central to understanding like the story of the Bible. The Bible is a story from beginning to end with massive chunks of, of narrative of what God is doing generation after generation after generation from the beginning of time to the end of time that hasn't reached yet. And one of the things that we have to understand in this is that God makes people holy. If we were to turn to Exodus chapter 19, 19 verse 5 through 6, Exodus chapter 19, verse 5 through 6, God has set Israel free. They were a nation of slaves, a whole entire nation enslaved in the land of Egypt. And God sets them free. And he leads them to a mountain called Mount Sinai where he's going to come down and he's going to speak so that, that all of this nation can, can hear his voice. It's not just Moses hearing it anymore. It's an entire nation of people hearing God speak. And this is what he says in Exodus chapter 19, verse 5 through 6. He says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, and here's our word, a holy nation. And so he says to the people of Israel that if they will obey his, obey his voice and keep his covenant, they'll be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Set apart. Unique. Distinct among all the peoples of the earth. And God goes on to describe more instructions about holiness. They were to build a new holy place. It was to be a, a tent they were to construct very specifically according to God's intentions and instructions, a place called the tabernacle. And they were to make an additional people within themselves that were to be holy, and the Levites under the order of, of Aaron, that were to be set apart as priests to teach the people the difference between what is holy and what is unholy, what is clean and what is unclean, and to offer sacrifices to make atonement that would cover their guilt. There's this whole process that God institutes to take unclean people and make them clean so they can exist 
and the presence of a holy God. Which was critical to the people of Israel because God intended to what? To dwell among them. And we read about how the first section of the holy place was, or the tabernacle was called the holy place where the priests would minister there daily. But the second section, called the holy of holies, was where God's presence would actually dwell. And the high priest was the only one who could enter into that place, and he only entered one time per year. And he only entered with the blood of the sacrifice to make atonement for himself and for the people of Israel. God says in Exodus chapter 29, 29 verse 43, he says this at the tabernacle, there I will meet with the people of Israel and it shall be sanctified. What's that mean? It'll be made holy. It'll be sanctified by my glory and I will consecrate. What's that mean? To make holy. I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. Aaron also and his sons I will consecrate to serve me as priests and I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God. A holy nation, unique and distinct and set apart because of their relationship to and with God, because of his presence in their lives. And their lives are to be marked by submission to his law, which brings safety in the presence of holiness. They're not to live as common people are to live, but they're to honor and esteem their position as God's people in the way that they live. They're to count their own lives as as sacred and holy because the Lord their God is holy and they're to reflect their relationship with him. Leviticus 11.44 says, Consecrate yourselves therefore and be holy for I am holy. I think one of the amazing things just to to sit and think about for just a moment (laughs) is what an amazing thing it is that that God would actually choose to dwell among people. That he's the kind of God that sets things apart. We made it to Exodus. And now we need to sum up about 1,500 more years, okay? Though God set them apart, they didn't remain holy. They didn't keep the covenant. But they followed after the practices of the people around them. And if anything, the terms of the covenant simply proved time and time again that these indeed were unclean, unholy people. As we think about holiness, simply from this brief survey, the next question I want us to think about is this. What's the source of holiness and where does it come from? We talked about a holy day, a holy place. talked about holy people. And we think about each of them. We find that the source of holiness is always God himself. That's the source of what this word always comes showing up as. The next passage we're going to look at is Isaiah chapter 6. The very famous passage on, on holiness. Isaiah was a prophet of God during the reign of, of four different kings of, of Judah. You read with me. 
Isaiah chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Isaiah writes, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. And with two he covered his face. And with two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one called to another saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken from the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this had touched your lips, your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. The the repetition, excuse me, the repetition of holy three times is a a form of emphasis in the Jewish language, in in the language of Hebrew. The Jews knew what holiness was They knew what the Holy of Holies was. That place in the tabernacle that the priest would only visit with blood. But here the seraphim calling out to one another, holy, 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 as as the voice of the one calling out shakes the threshold of the temple. And here is something unique and distinct and different above and beyond anything. And I wish I could communicate that to us. I wish I could, honestly, I wish I could feel in a moment. I wish I could feel what Isaiah felt. Because I don't think, I don't think his words, as hard as they try to communicate emotion, we all know that sometimes you have to experience something to really feel it. But if you look at what he's saying, you can relate to the depth of emotion as he, he responds, woe is me. In his heart and in his mind and in his soul, there is a, a crushing feeling of inescapable doom. And I don't know if you felt that, but that feeling in your gut where you know you don't know what to do and it is above and beyond you so completely that it's confusing and disorienting. You can't even put your thoughts together straight and you feel it, whether you can express it in words or not. He was undone by the presence of, of the holy, holy, holy God. And what I want us to understand this morning 
is that he was, under, he was undone because holiness is not a concept or a construct that is made by man. It is not relative. But holiness exists because God exists and he is holy, holy, holy. No one is like him. Nothing you have seen or met compares to him. He is unique and distinct and set apart from all that exists to the nth degree. If you were to take all that has ever existed before and you were to add up all that exists into the future, he transcends it all. He defines what holiness is. What he is in his being is what causes holiness to exist. He is holy in every person of the Trinity. The Father is holy. The Son is holy. The Spirit is holy. It is who he is and it's everything that he does as God. So that the ground that he touches is holy. That his dwelling is holy. His throne is holy. His promise is holy. His law is holy. His commandments are holy. His way is holy. His righteousness is holy. His name, holy. The difficulty in understanding holiness. in large part is due to the fact that it requires us to comprehend a God we cannot comprehend. God is the Holy One. There is no other source, no other authority, no other claim outside of His existence as to what holiness is. No definition apart from Him and the nature of who He is that speaks to holiness. We think about life. Life exists because God exists and God is life. We think about love. Love exists because God exists and God is love. Holiness exists because God exists. And God is not merely holy. That's the thing he tries to, to comprehend in our minds by saying he is holy, holy, holy. Unique. Distinct, set apart, transcending everyone and everything and demanding and deserving awe and honor and esteem. And this God, this God again and again and again throughout the scriptures makes himself known to unholy people. And he draws near not to destroy, uh, but to warn and to direct and to display who he is and what he's like. That people might know him. That in the safety of submission, that we might come to a behold and to worship the beauty of his holiness, 
The scriptures say to worship in the beauty of holiness. Holiness is a, is a beautiful and remarkable thing. We understand beauty, right? Like if you go to a vacation, you want a beautiful place. You don't go to the Sun Valley Mall parking lot. Why? It is common. You want to go to see something remarkable. You want to go see Half Dome. You want to go see the Grand Tetons, the Grand Canyon. We know of these things because the essence of them is they're beautiful because they're unique and distinct. And while there is an element of God's distinction and uniqueness that rightly causes our hearts to fear, don't miss It's beauty. It is not safe to approach in your own way. God reveals time and time again that we may come in the way that he makes. I do think this is lost on many in our culture. I do think that there is a lack of of fear of God in our culture. And I think that lack of fear is caused by a lack of understanding of of what he is like. It's also caused because people don't draw near. Think about it like this. The sun is wonderful at a distance, right? At a distance, it's great. Really thankful for it. Glad to see it today day. (laughs) Maybe it'll be back. But you understand, it orients our days and it gives us, orients days and nights and seasons and years. It gives us warmth. It causes things to grow. It provides energy. It's a wonderful thing that we all appreciate at a distance. But if you were to draw near to the sun, your experience would suddenly be radically different because you would discover immediately the sun in all of its glory is a consuming fire. And that's how God describes himself. He's a consuming fire. People have no fear of God because they don't draw near enough to God to realize what he is and what he is like. And as long as you hold him at a distance, he's great. His love giving life, all these good things that God is and does, which are true. But missing out on the reality of all that he is. And that's what Isaiah was confronted with within the presence of God, instantly aware that he was an unclean man. And though he was a prophet of God, <laughs> undoubtedly knew God's law. He had no illusion in that moment that he was safe. And that experience, I want you to grasp this, it was psychologically devastating. Does that make sense? It was undone in an instant. We're imperfect beings living among other imperfect beings. And so it's rarely a problem that our own faults and and sins, we're we're rarely aware of that in a way that traumatizes us. Does that make sense? Like, yeah, I've lied. 
lied to people. It hurt people. It was bad. I don't think about it most days. There are a few things in my life that I think about the way that they've hurt people, and it's traumatic to remember. But most of the time, as I bump up around you all, I think I'm okay. (laughs) Sorry. Some of you are probably going like, you have no clue how you offended me. We can talk after the service. But we're on a collision course. Here's the thing. We are on a collision course with the Holy God. And it does us no good to be unprepared. And what we need to see in this passage is that God provided a way to remove Isaiah's guilt and to atone for his sin. And I doubt you are expecting a seraphim to to approach in your life and to have a burning coal from the altar of God to provide you with Cleanness in his presence. That's not what we expect. And yet as you read the revelation that Isaiah has, that he's been given by God, God spoke through him of a day that he would send. Send a servant, the righteous one, whose soul would make an offering for guilt, who would bear the iniquities of all of his people. Many of you know, even as I speak, that the, the prophet of Isaiah, through the Holy Spirit, spoke of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And the scriptures say that in him, God has opened a new and living way that any who desire may safely enter into God's holy presence. Now you might know him and marvel at him and his ways and worship him and enjoy him and the beauty of his holiness. And in and through Jesus Christ, the doom is removed. Leaving intact the awe and the honor and the esteem. So I want us now to turn and to briefly look at at Jesus. As we hear the birth announcement of Jesus, The angel declares in Luke chapter 1, verse 35, that this child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God, set apart by God for God's purposes. He was not holy only in his birth, but he was holy in his life. In Luke chapter 4, verse 34, the demons knew it. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. The disciples knew it. Peter says in John chapter 6, verse 69, we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Holy at his birth, holy in his life, he was holy in his life. Death, Acts chapter 3, verse 14 through 15. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are eyewitnesses. Holy in his birth, holy in his life, holy in his death. Now holiness is, is why Jesus came. It's why Jesus died. In the longest recorded prayer of Jesus, If you want to turn there, it's in John chapter 17. It's the longest recorded prayer of Jesus. It's the last. I guess it's not the last prayer of Jesus. I guess he prayed to God on the cross. But this is what he prays. 
Before he goes to die on the cross, he prays for his disciples. In verse 17 and 18, he says, They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. The same word lies under both consecrate and and sanctified. So if we look at this passage, what Jesus is saying, that he himself has set himself apart to do God's will. And he fulfilled God's law, which nobody else could do. And having fulfilled God's law, he went on to the next stage of God's will for him. What was it? It was to die. It was to be the sacrifice that would make atonement. It was to be the holy sacrifice that would cleanse a people from their unholiness. That they might be sanctified in him. Hebrews 10.10 says, By that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the blood of Jesus Christ once for all. The only safe way into the presence of the Holy God is in submission to His Son by whom we are made holy. The Lord tells us how we are to come. We are to come by faith, recognizing our need to be saved, our inability to save ourselves, believing that Jesus is the Savior and the one who will make us holy, bowing our knee and our life and our will to His. I wish we had more time to unfold that, but for the sake of time, I want to get to our our final section. And to just give you three, (laughs) three reasons of why we must pursue holiness and some practical ways in each of how we can actually do that. Let's look at this. Why... Why we must pursue holiness. You need to pursue holiness because it's central to knowing God. (coughs) Holiness is central to knowing God. Without an understanding of holiness, you will not understand who God is or what he does or what he's like. God is the Holy One. And to know God is to know his distinction and his uniqueness. And what makes him, him, and the things that are not him, not him. God has made us to know him. That's the beauty of this. That's the beautiful thread that runs throughout all the Old Testament and all the New Testament. Is that God wants to be known. 
And he's made himself known. And that Jesus actually says that the knowing God is what eternal life is. Like eternal life is, is actually no God. That's what life is. And so if God's holiness is the way that he has he set his silence, if God's holiness is the way that he has set himself apart, we pursue holiness by seeking to see and understand God's uniqueness and distinctness. To see how his love sets him apart from every other love. To see how his patience sets himself apart from every other patience. To see how his righteousness sets him apart from every other righteousness. How his purity sets himself aside from every other thing. To see how his self-existence sets himself apart from everything else that exists. Studying his works of creation and how they set him apart. Studying, Studying the great works that he has done for his people throughout the ages and how those great and marvelous things set him apart. And reading the Proverbs and seeing that the wisdom that he distributes sets himself apart from every other wisdom you've ever known. And the more that you understand how God sets himself apart, the more joy and delight you will have in him and in his ways. And the more that you understand what his holiness is looking like, you'll understand how it's to play out in your own life. And the more you understand it and experience it, guess what? The more you can know. Like mathematics are learned relatively se- sequentially, right? You have to learn what one plus one equals before you move on to calculus. That there's a depth of knowledge that you must acquire, and so in understanding what is holiness, there's a, there's a depth that you won't exhaust in your lifetime. But it comes by knowing the Holy One. It's not apart from God that we know holiness. It is in God as the person that we know and understand and comprehend and experience the holy. Number two, we need to pursue holiness because holiness is central to God's plan for his his church. As a church, we've been studying the book of 1 Corinthians. I think we're returning there next week unless Pastor Chris has to correct things I've said today. But this is how Paul begins that letter. He says to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. What's saints mean? Holy ones. It's God's holy people. To those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question. Does that include us? Are we included in all places? Everywhere? I think so. I think it does. God has sanctified them in Jesus Christ 
and he has placed a calling over them that they would be his holy ones. That's what saints means. And this is true of everyone in every place who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have been made holy. You have been sanctified by him. God did that. Done. Who's the source of holiness? God. And I know that holy people struggle with holding on to that as our identity because we feel like sinners. We're not saints because of what we've done. We're saints because of what God has done. All holiness is from God, and if God says you are a saint set apart for his purposes by the precious blood of his son, you are. Made holy by him, and through him, and for him. So as we explore just a few things in in this particular theme, and as we, we seek to pursue this holiness by which God has defined us and to lay hold of this holy calling, uh, what are some things we can do? Number one, we can worship and give thanks to God for making us holy. Kyle, will you just follow along with me here? There you go. Keep going. Worshiping God and giving thanks to God. Rather than deny God what he has done, praise him. Simply rejoice as his people. As you didn't accomplish a holiness by yourself, you won't complete it by yourself. You won't lose what God has done. But rather worshiping him and giving thanks to him for making us holy. Let it be. Studying to know his holy ways and to walk in them. Let us see. Depending on his Holy Spirit who dwells in you to empower you. And notice the Spirit's name is the Holy Spirit. So what does he work to do? He's going to make us holy. And that's the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. That was an outward conforming. It didn't fix the heart, but God has changed in the New Testament. What happens? It's a new birth through God's Holy Spirit that calls and enables us. And we're to depend on him. Letter D. Set aside unholy ways of living. There are very common ways that our world lives, and we're really familiar with them. (laughs) We're really familiar with them. The things that we watch, and the things that we say, and the things we fill our weeks, and our minds, and our phones, and our browsers, and our vacation schedules with. We're really familiar with what's common in this world. We've walked in them. This is extra credit. Here's some homework for you to do. Go home and read Colossians 3. Verse 5 through 17. Please do this. I'm serious. Like if you don't do anything else from this sermon, do this. Read Colossians 3, 5 through 17. Meditate on it. And look at the connection between how we used to live, interrupted by what God did, our new identity, and our relationship between our new identity with our new manner of living. And what this requires is is setting aside unholy living, embracing our calling as saints, and then striving 
striving for holiness. Why do we need to strive for holiness? Well, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 says that we, we have to strive for holiness because there's a holiness that without which no one will see the Lord. By the way, that striving for holiness is plural. <laughs> it's plural because we, we're not supposed to be concerned with just our holiness. You are. But guess who else's holiness you're to be concerned with? Look next to you. You can actually do this. You can like, I know you all know this. Sometimes we forget it because I'm just standing up here and you're all looking at me. You are to be concerned with my holiness. And I am to be concerned with your holiness. And we're to be concerned with the holiness of our fellowship together. Because one of the ways that we are to pursue holiness is by partnering with a community of people that God has made holy. Are you doing that? Often. Are you doing that to the point where you actually could recognize and have the relationship with a person to go, oh, there's something unholy. I love them enough to speak to it in love, with understanding, with knowledge. And if you're not in that kind of relationship with God's holy people, your holiness will not only be stunted, but the community will be stunted. That makes sense? Oh man, we could talk about this forever, but here's the last one I want to give us. Praying. Praying in the manner that Jesus taught us. It's, it's really interesting. I don't, this one hit me like a, a ton of bricks. And I forget which commentator said it, so I'm just going to attribute it to somebody I read. You all know the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What is the first, first request that Jesus taught his disciples to pray? That God's name would be sanctified. Hallowed be thy name is, is the desire to see God's name treated and viewed and consecrated by the world as holy. Hmm. And we are not common. We are distinct and set apart because of what God has done. And so let's end with this, this last point and we'll be done. And you need to pursue holiness for joy in the future. The last book of the Bible, the book of Revelations, tell us that God is preparing a holy city where nothing unclean will ever enter. Nothing unclean will ever Enter. And this is a future that God has determined, has spoken, and is working as we speak to bring about. 
Revelation says that blessed are those who wash their robes so that they might have the right to eat of the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Blessed is a huge word to unpack. The happiness full of joy, full of peace, full of a rest that is eternal. We cannot comprehend this side of eternity, but we ought to try. Blessed are those who now submit to Jesus being sanctified by his blood. But not so for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, idolaters, and liars. And portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur and is the second death. Please hear me. Holiness is not relative. Your actions will be determined by what you think about it, but your beliefs don't determine reality. The reality of who God is is not relative, but determined by Him. Defined by a God who is warned from heaven that we all are on a collision course with a God who is a consuming fire. That we would not face him surprised or unprepared. But that we would embrace the safety of submission to his son. Pursuing the holiness of God found by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. That you may know and experience the eternal joy of holy bliss face to face with the holy, holy, holy God. Will you pray? You alone, God, know the hearts of those who sit here. So I ask that your Holy Spirit in these moments would graciously impress upon each individual your will for their lives. To those who are weak in faith, may you oppress upon them the power by which you have declared them holy in the blood of Jesus Christ.
to those who need to be convicted of unholiness in their lives and your grace. Flood their lives with an awareness of the places in their life they are unclean. And in your kindness, impress upon them repentance and a spirit willing to submit again to the call you have placed upon their lives and to the way of following after Jesus Christ. To those who have not yet been born again, I ask, Lord, that you would do what only you can do. Impress upon them that you are. You always have been. You always will be. Impress upon them your holiness. Bring them to the place submitting to the Jesus Christ that they might be born again. Father, for this church, this assembly of saints, may we know and reflect your holiness in a way that displays the glory of Jesus Christ in our community. Glorify yourself in us for the sake of the name. We ask all this In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.